Hey everybody, it's the Shea Anything Podcast. We're broadcasting live for this edition on Facebook and Twitter. Doug Williams oh, we are? alongside Andy Martino. I'm going to tweet usual. about that. Yeah, you should tweet about that. Get but people to us, watch. Special edition, Keith Hernandez. I'm Keith Hernandez, is out today. You've been everywhere. I imagine you're mildly exhausted I'm, by this point. I'm, I got up at 5.15 this morning with no break. Yesterday was another, was another full day. I was up at 5.45. But at least I had a break. I can take an hour nap. But today has been going strong. I got two more days of this. Then I'm back in the booth on Friday. This is your break. Think of that. Yeah. Your time with us can be yes. relaxing. Exactly. Um, okay, so this book, Keith, it's fascinating, first of all. But it is a lot about minor leagues, getting to the big leagues, right. you and the old guard, your relationship with them. Why did you decide to go in that direction with this? Well, we um, this is a two-and-a-half-year project right now. And... Uh, Little Brown wanted uh, 90,000 words, which was basically th 330 pages, which is what the book is around there approximately. And we realized that um, if we were going to do my whole life, it was going to be 800 pages. So we kind of said, okay, look, people know me from New York and the finished product. Let's focus on my road to where I got and it starts in my youth. It bounces around. It's not in chronological order. I think, I think my uh, the author I worked with, Mike Ponce, did a great job. Did a great job weaving in and out. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, it wasn't a. I struggled in the minor leagues. I struggled in my first three years in the big leagues. Uh, my relationship with my father, mm -hmm. the people that were there along the way for me that uh, if they hadn't been there, it might have gone another direction. So um, it wasn't a yellow brick road. Yeah. That structural stuff is interesting that you mentioned, how the book, I'm sure most of our people listening haven't read it yet, it's out today. Right. Uh, how you jump from childhood, minor leagues, a lot of stuff about getting ready for SMY broadcasts, so it's really all over the place. That's, that's tricky as an author to pull that off, so your guy did, did and, and you of course, did do a good job. In the spirit of that, we're going to bounce around a little too, because there's so much interesting to cover. Um, I'm sure you're getting plenty of cat and Twitter talk elsewhere, so I'm not going there. I want to okay. talk about substance and <laughs> baseball and your life. I want to start by uh, reminding you of a story that I'm sure you don't remember because it was another day at work for you, and I'm leading that into a question. When I, uh, 2013, I had to do a couple of games for Kevin Burkhart when he was starting to do, uh, you know, he was the field reporter, of course, mm -hmm. here. He went yep. to do the NFL before he went to do that full-time. We were in Cleveland. It was my first game. It was as nervous as I've ever been I to remember. go on the air. I'm like, literally, Greg Picker's going to me in the dugout, and I'm like, here I go. He goes to me with one out, uh, and there's a double play while I'm talking. So during my first hit, when I'm trembling in my boots, I got to get it back up to Gary and you. Uh, and, you know, I survived it, of course. We right. got to the break. I don't know. How, I wouldn't want to see the clip, but I survived it. So during the, uh, I want people to know about this, too. During the commercial break, you go, I hear, hey, can Andy hear me? Can Andy hear me? It's you. Mm -hmm. I said, uh, yeah, yeah, Keith, I can hear you. And you said, uh, hey, that was bleeping great. You gave me a little pat on the butt from up in the booth. And you said, good job. That was really hard, da-da-da. <laughs> and I thought, where I'm going with this is I thought, now I get where Ronnie, uh, Bobby O, uh, Wally, I get where they're coming from in terms of like, you realize when you, when, when you walk into a place and those guys are there, they're still like, hey, Max, they, re they regard you as that leader, that captain of the infield. And I felt that, too, even so far after your playing career. Uh, so I guess what I want to ask about that was how did you develop that persona of that guy who can motivate someone and be that leader from being so shy and anxious as a kid? I mean, I, I know Lou Brock was a big figure right. for you, but if you could speak to just how you went from shy and self-doubting to the kind of guy that can 
motivate me even from up in the booth to down in the dugout? Well, I think it was a <clears throat> gradual process. My father was always our coach, so he was always helping the kids that were on the team. And uh, the parents loved my dad. The kids loved my dad. So I grew up with that. Um, Lou Brock has got to be the, the man. That's he. Lou Brock was my uh, mentor. I struggled. He took me under his wing when I struggled. I didn't have to do that. He was in the process of breaking Ty Cobb's records mm -hmm. for stolen bases, a superstar. And uh, I was a struggling young 20, 21-year-old kid. And uh, I never forgot that. So I said, if this, I remember telling myself once when I, I said, if, I, if the tables ever turn, if I can get to where Lou's at, and I got a bunch of young kids that are coming up, and I've got the resume close to what Lou had. Well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give back there. So when I came mm -hmm. to New York, I was the guy that had all the personal achievements, the World Series, and they were all Lenny Dykstra's and Roger McDowell's and Daryl and all the young guys. They were in their early 20s. It was a perfect setup, and I embraced it. I actually, I, I loved it. I mean, it was just, it really gave me a shot in the arm. Actually, I needed a mm -hmm. change and a new direction in my career, a new challenge, and the Mets were perfect for it. And you tell a story in the book, speaking of positive reinforcement, uh, Ken Boyer, 1979, on the plane. Yes. And, and you're in a negative place at the moment. He comes up to you and says, Keith, you're our guy, yep. basically. I'm mm -hmm. paraphrasing. That idea of positive reinforcement, young players especially, when they're struggling, how important is it to have somebody come up to them and say, don't worry so much about the day-to-day, right. -day. you're our guy, no matter how much, if you go for four tomorrow, don't worry about it. Well, it's for me, it was a big load off the shoulders. Now, you don't want to blow smoke, and you got right. someone that's, you know, not going to be a great mm -hmm. player. But you, you know, part of being a coach is to get the most and develop and get the most out of young players. Uh, obviously, they felt that I was something special. And uh, Boyer had managed me twice, two years in a row in, in Tulsa, and saw me. And met you when you were a little kid too, which same, you said in the book. It's the same thing when. Um, Davey Johnson took over the Mets. He had managed in the minor leagues. He was a roving scout. He had seen all the talent. Mm -hmm. He came up to manage, and he wanted Wally Backman. Uh, he wanted Lenny up. He wanted Doc up, and mm -hmm. uh, he knew them. Uh, so Boyer knew me. He was there at the right time. I was hitting 232 at the end of April on that flight to Houston. And going to the Astrodome where we were going to face a good pitching staff, they always did, in a ballpark that was tough to hit in. And uh, I went 4-4 four for four the next day. So obviously it had an impact on me. I always felt like I had guardian angels on my shoulders. Hmm. You mentioned your dad uh, a minute ago. Obviously, he looms large in your book. Mm -hmm. He also looms large, and we talked about this recently, the uh, Bill Knack SI story about yes. you. In 1986, the greatest sports writer of all time, to my mind, wrote a profile of Keith in 86 right. about you and your father and your brother. Right. Complex dynamics right. there. And then that reappears in your book. Uh, there's just there's so many ways to go with what I'm sure is a relationship you've been kind of processing your whole life. But how did you end up uh, sort of at peace with a guy who simultaneously, by your own recollection, pushed you really hard sometimes, yep. but also was a model for you, was supportive, who taught you right. everything. Did you come to a place where it was easier to deal with as you got older through your career? As a Met, was it easier to deal with the advice that he was giving you, the pressure that you felt sometimes, or was that a challenge throughout. He was there throughout my career. He never relinquished. He was a strong man and it, you know it, it wasn't a, a love-hate relationship. It was a love-anger relationship. <laughs> where we Even were, the anger was coming from love. Uh, yes and you know we'd have 
I'd have shouting matches with him. I'd be I wouldn't talk to him for three months. You know, and then you got Gary's caught in the middle, my brother, and my mom's ill with arthritis and mm -hmm. and the whole family dynamic and, and dad being very stubborn and I guess myself being very stubborn. You look at it differently now that it's in the past. The only thing that's bad, my father died a year after I retired. We had a chance to talk briefly, not briefly, a little bit about it. But he was a little bit reluctant to really, I think it was something that would have, would have had to chip away at him mm -hmm. and it never had the time to really reconcile it. He did say, hey, look, I knew, it's in the book, I knew when you were 11 years old that you had something special and that you were impulsive, uh, compulsive, uh, ants in your pants and you, you, would look, you wouldn't look before you leaped and I wasn't going to let you blow it. And that's when it started. And then it got worse when he lost control. I went to high school and other coaches started to get me that's when he started gripping a little tighter. That had to be hard for him. Sorry, Doug. I just no, I know as a parent, you are always trying to calibrate when to let go. You're a parent, too, and, and how right. to do that. And for someone who was so invested in your career, that must have been quite the push and pull, not just for you and feeling a little controlled, but I imagine it was hard for him to feel like, how much do I keep pushing, Keith? I mean, you talk about it in the book. Even you come home and you're a, a, a minor league prospect who's just had a great year in AAA, I think, and then he's like, you're not staying, you're not going out late, you're coming home. He's still oh, setting yeah, rules oh, yeah, he wouldn't let me, yeah, he wouldn't. So, I didn't have a car in high school. He wouldn't let me have a car. Yeah, so that push and pull <laughs> I had to have been. Darn. Yeah, <laughs> right. For both of you, though, I can imagine. And, and, and for him, I mean, did you see him evolve on that through the years? Um, he never really... He, was, he always kept the tight rein. He let me go when I was 21, okay? I didn't have any money to go get a... He said, if you want to go out 12 midnight at 1 o'clock in the morning, go get a job, get an apartment. As long as you're staying here, mm -hmm. you're, you're in Rome, you do as the Romans do. And so he was, you know, Caesar. So there's no <laughs> doubt about that. Sounds like it. Uh, another question for us, then we're going to get to one on Twitter. Um, but, Keith, game of baseball. You talk so much in the book, and, and you talk about it on the air on SNY, too. Analytics, the shift. Mm -hmm. You think there are what people think are improvements about the game that might be hurting it, but also you talk about in the game, in the book, uh, these three-hour slogs, these three-and-a-half-hour games, not the way that baseball is meant to be played. Right. Your ideal Major League Baseball, what does it look like? Uh, good. I think the Mets have been playing good games this year. I like bunching hits. Mm -hmm. I like guys scoring, not a base at a time. Last year the Mets were one base at a time, striking out. Hitting home runs, they led to the, tied the league in home runs. To me, the walks, strikeouts, and home runs are boring. Uh, there's no action. Player trots around the bases. Um, I think it's getting better, uh, and I am coming around. I've kind of even evolved since the book. I mean, mm -hmm. we've been done with this book now for around nine months, seven months. I'm kind of coming around and evolving on analytics. I think it's a very, very useful tool, uh, but it shouldn't be. The, the Ten Commandments mm -hmm. of how you evaluate players, but you can glean a lot from them, and I'm starting to come around and uh, changing my attitudes. It's like how it's used, right? You can actually feel that evolution used in the book. Used in moderation. Yeah, you yep. feel a little torn in the book. You said on the one hand, uh, something like on-base percentage can be helpful. On the other hand, you have to think of the situation. You can't use it in a vacuum. You have to think, is this a moment for a walk? Is this a moment to get the runner over? And, and that, perhaps, is what's lost. Sometimes. Well, I think another thing, too, in our generation of athletes and before me, there was no computers. We had to, uh, we had to evaluate and make our way mentally. Mm -hmm. This new generation of players now has grown up on computers, and it's only going to get worse now. And they grow up on analytics where we had to think for ourselves. We didn't have any computer program. 
or uh, they do today. So they're more they're more functioning on data where we processed our own in our own head through our own experience. I think that's a big difference right now, a big gulf. And that's batted out of order because of a computer. I mean, yes, that's, that's, that's true. true. Ruining everything. Okay, uh, Fred Boo, I believe it's on Twitter and Facebook. By the way, let us know if you have any questions. We'll hopefully get to them. Which championship means more to you, 82 or 86? I get asked that a lot. Um, they both mean a lot to me. 82 was my first, so it's always going to mean a lot. And the Cardinals hadn't won since 67. That was a long time. And, of course, you know, coming here with the Mets for the doormats and to have turned it around so quickly and be a world champion. I came in 83 and to be in, within two and a half years, we win a world championship with a perennial doormat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that means a lot to me too. And they hadn't won since 69. And you know, it, just to be a part of that. Uh, so they're both very special. I mean, I wish I could be like Yogi Berra and had what played in how many did he play in? I, would, I think he's got 10 rings. Right, that would be, uh, I, I can't imagine that. You wonder if you become desensitized to it or if it feels as good every time. Well, oh, how about if we just had a wild card back when I played? We'd have been in the playoffs every year. There you go. Would have been a different run for sure. Um, inside baseball a little bit, Keith. This is just something I'm curious about. You talk a lot in the book about your ability to hit left-handed pitching. It seems like guys like Conforto, Nimmo, but it happens all across baseball, left-handed hitters come up and they're immediately platooned. They get days off against lefties. It's almost like they don't get the chance to show if they can mm -hmm. hit left-handed pitching. What is your thought on that? And as a young hitter, how important was it that you get continued reps against left-handed pitching to get that part of your game going? Well, you got to hit off of them. I was fortunate that my father was left-handed. So we got BP, my brother and I, off a lefty our whole life. So most of the time you're hitting off right-handers. I was able to hit off left-handers my whole life. So I was able to, I was getting trained at a very young age. Um, I had to make adjustments early in my career in the big leagues. It was the level of pitching was a lot better than AAA. I had to get closer to the plate. Um, it evolved, but I uh, I struggled. It's tough. Conforto can hit left-handers. He's just pulling the ball too much. I mean, there's so much home run craze today that um, I think people want to lift too much. I think it got Cabrera in trouble from the left side of the plate. Uh, he was he was starting to pull off because he likes to look in and and lift. He does that real well. But it starts with you got to open your shoulder, hmm. and then all of a sudden it just slowly creeps in, and you start doing a little earlier, a little more, and then that pitch out here, he was fouling back and swinging and missing on the outside corner. And I said, if I was, if I was there observing, I would tell him, hey, start going up the middle. You're getting in a bad habit. Mm -hmm. But they, they want home runs today, so what are you going to do? So that, in, in speaking of the analytics thing and speaking of the way you would have those conversations with guys, say, if you were on the field or the people that you learned from, you, you come into the game at the tail end of this incredible lineage that you drew in your book. It goes back to Babe Ruth. They actually wrote this down. I know people haven't read it. So you played against Ron Fairley, who played with Pee Wee Reese, right. who played against Bill Dickey, yes. who played with Babe Ruth. That's not too many degrees between Keith Hernandez on the field and Babe Ruth on the field. Additionally, your coach in the minor leagues is Ducky Medwick. Might not be a name people out there know, but is a member of the Gas House Gang, right. 30s Cardinals, Real old-timey baseball right. stuff, and you're learning oral traditions right. uh, from someone like that, fundamentals of the game from something like that. Has that chain of uh, received wisdom passed down in baseball been broken by analytics, or is Michael Conforto talking to, uh, I don't know, Terry Collins, who talked to Jim Leland or whatever? Is, it, is that chain in baseball, which is so important to its history, still in place, or is analytics, do you think, sort of broken it up a little bit? I don't think it's analytics <clears throat> so much. And I know 
that Pat Rossler is working hard with the new. I talked with Pat a couple times about mm -hmm. Conforto pulling off, and he was they were working on it. Uh, but I think the back of their mind, they hit 27 home runs last year. And he hit 27 home runs without trying. He's a big, strong guy. Don't have to try to hit home runs. Um, I think it's the money that's done the most damage, and uh, I still think that steroids has its ugly cast its ugly shadow on the game. Everybody got enamored with the Sosa and, and um, McGuire chase and that all those home runs in the early, late uh, uh, 1990s, early 2000s before they hopefully right, got sure. control of it. Yeah, just like when uh, Robinson Cano was suspended an I, hour ago. I, I just read that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, I think, all even the lords of baseball, the guys that put teams together, got enamored with the home run yeah. and got away from the finesse of the game. I think the money, you got agents, uh, you got players. Hey, if I'm a bad base runner, if I hit 30 home runs and drive in 100 runs, I'm going to get a $100 million contract. So why? They're all, I call them you know, batting cage major leaguers. They hit in that cage, I think, too much. Mm -hmm. They hit, they hit, they hit. Uh, if I was red hot, uh, I always felt you only have so many swings in a hot streak. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to waste them in the cage. I wasn't going to waste them in batting practice. I, when I was red hot, I'd go out and take one round, just play the ball around the field, 15 swings, get out. Because I didn't want to waste any more of those hits right. at 5 o'clock. We had a lot of 5 o'clock. I had a lot of, there's a lot of 5 o'clock hitters out there. Yeah. So it's, in, it, I mean, I remember Lucas Duda, just as a recent example, he used to hit in the cage until his hands were sore. And it was, they like, all do. Yeah, yeah. They all do. So it's more than the steroids slash home run obsession than analytics or anything else that sort of broke that uh, fundamentals that were passed down through all these generations. I think you. that baseball is the last sport. Uh, they say that hockey even has changed. I talked to Howie, but it's the it's changed the least. But you had basketball with a three-point play and the slam dunk. Mm -hmm. uh, you got football now with 300-and-something pounds, pound guy. They talked to the old NFL linemen. They say there's no footwork anymore, no fundamentals. Right. Uh, when they were, they were more agile, they just pancake block now. And, and and now baseball, it's creeped into baseball with the with the home run. And I miss, I really miss the speed of the game. <clears throat> Nothing more exciting to me. And with the smaller ballparks now, it prevents this. There's a double in the gap with a runner on first. And, you know, you're in the stands or I'm up in the booth. You see the ball in the gap. You see the outfielder. You check the runner. Oh, my God. You know, here could runner at first. He's round in second. You see the relay throw. He's round in third. Oh, it's going to be a close play at the plate. And it is. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more exciting yeah. than that. And now it's, it's, it's taken away. Catchers can't block home plate. Uh, I just I would love to see more speed, more hitting and running. Speaking of things that haven't changed, Keith, being in the minor league still isn't fun. And you paint a picture of being in the minors, the bus trips. You talk about sleeping in yeah. the luggage compartment terrible. of yeah. a bus with your, your head this close to yeah. the... So in my mind, when we talk about steroids, I'm thinking, well, I guess it makes sense for a 23-year-old to try and get some sort of advantage to get out of these places. Is that... Am I making that up? Is that too much of a, of a connect the dots? Or do you think that there's any correlation between steroid usage and how much it stinks to be in those leagues? Uh, I think minor leagues is part of the process to get up and uh, to the big leagues. And you have to go through it. That was, I had a great time in A-ball. I had a great time in the American Association in AAA. I absolutely hated the Texas League. And it's there in there in the book why I hated it, all that mm -hmm. travel. Uh, there weren't steroids 
in the game, when, uh, when I was playing in the minor leagues, uh, when I came up to the big leagues, it wasn't until later that I kind of looked at some guys and it just didn't click. You started to notice mid-late uh, 80s? I'm just going, you know, why is this guy 25 pounds you know, and, and bulky? It, it kind of came in later. So I think it was just a natural process mm -hmm. uh, that the game went through as far as getting help, uh, you know. Sure, and the natural temptations to get out of whatever circumstance to make more money. Look at, I mean, if you look at Robinson Cano, he, he's going to lose a little money in his suspension. But little? He juiced all the 80 games. Way right. Well, he's got 200 in so the, the bank. So the question is, is there, is, <laughs> well, there, is there a new masking agent? Uh, yeah, that's what he got popped for. That's so, what I'm worried about. Yes. Or he thought he went on the deal. Oh, I'm speculating. You can't speculate. Right. Thought We're on the air, so I'm going to move you on, Keith. Get David I'm going to save you on that one. Get David in, and then I want to one more thing about the minor leagues that I want to piggyback on your question. David from Facebook, what made you play first You're base? Welcome. What made you play first base so aggressively? How come you had footwork like a middle infielder at first base? Nice pat on the back, uh, David. Because I was top of my father, who was a real good fielder, and uh, we had drills when I was a kid around the bag with our eyes closed, and the. Dad always said that bag is going to become a part of your body. Mm -hmm. And so I would always run to the bag, and I would get within maybe a step and a half, and I knew I didn't have to look at the bag anymore. I knew where I'd be set up perfectly. And then everything else was just footwork and um, things, just drills my dad. That's my position. I played it. Yeah. And he always told me, and it's in the book too, and it was great advice, is that if you can field your position and you go in a slump and there's going to be slumps, the manager is less inclined to take you out of the lineup because if you can't field and then you're in a slump, you're not helping your team in any way. You can help. You can be in a slump, but win ball games with your glove. And I remember hearing that at a very young age, and that made perfect sense with me. I always really focused harder when I was in a slump in the field because I because uh, I, I I didn't feel good at the plate. And you go through periods where you don't drive in runs. Well, I can save it with a pick. I can save it with the ball in the mm -hmm. hole. You know, it's easy to get lazy in the field. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't let myself get lazy. Uh, I can't decide if I want to ask you first about um, your out-of-body experience, Roger Waters maybe being kind of a jerk, or smoking pot to get through the minor leagues. So I think I'm going to start with the out-of-body All this is in the book, oh, yeah. and it's all interesting. I think I'm going to start with the out-of-body experience, because this, to me, stuck out. Uh, it would correct me if I'm wrong in calling it that, but it seemed it like was. you really had a moment. Uh, and so people that haven't read it, if you could tell the story, and then my question, having read it, was... What exactly do you think that what did you have? Did you doze off? Did you have I, a spiritual moment? What, what do you think that was? I, it was after that long, Little Rock, Arkansas, hot, humid. Uh, I was very lonely in Little Rock. I didn't have a roommate. I got an apartment by myself. And I, was, I couldn't get into any bars because I was 19 years old. Right. And there was a 21 years age. So I was just very lonely. I got off to a terrible start. Had the big, took around five weeks to get to 300 have the big double header, and I always like to take baths even today. And um, uh, I just went and took a hot bath after that day game double header, and I must have dozed, and I literally felt like my spirit from the bottom of my soles to the top of my head, and just were coming out of my body. And were I remember, you awake at the time? I, no, I was sleep? out. I remember jolting up and going like this, like and it all went back in. See, you caught, caught it. You caught your yeah, soul. Like, that's, what it, that's what it felt like to I'm me. Sh well, look. And, uh, and then it's amazing what the mind does. Mm -hmm. But the th then I went to the ballpark, and I was, went from 301 to 260 in, in 10 days. It just sapped all everything out of me. And then that's when Bob Kennedy called me up to AAA right. instead of sending me down, and it turned my career around. The story, for those quickly unfamiliar in Keith's book, is that 
Uh, was he the farm? He was a he man. Was a farm he was a farm director. director. Keith is slumping. Uh, the farm director decides to promote him rather than demote him, right. thinking that you now, needed the Today's challenge. analytics, they probably would have sent Exactly. Him. So that was an example you used about the eye test. Baseball people making judgment, value judgments. So I should probably, before you get to your next question, Doug, uh, for our listeners that didn't understand my Roger Waters reference, uh-huh. the, this is where the structure, we talked about the structure of the book being so well done by you and your, and, and your co-author, uh, that you go seamlessly in, like, I don't know, a couple paragraphs from... You learned in the minor leagues that, that pot smoking was a way to alleviate anxiety. Uh, you get into that for a bit. You listen to Pink Floyd. More you than re- a bit, but go ahead. Quite a bit. I'm, you know, okay. Like around 10 years. So you smoked a lot of weed for a, for a, for a lot of years. So at the very beginning of that, uh, you're listening to Pink Floyd, which is a combination that's worked for others as well. Uh, and then you jump right to a story. Pink where, Floyd, dark, dark Side of the Moon. Look, so. I haven't written a book about... <laughs> Anyway, uh, yes, that's something that might work for some people as a fun time. Uh, but then you go right to, like, you met Roger Waters as current Keith, like 2011 right. or something, and he was kind of, was he cold? Was he not, he wasn't the... He was one, inebriated. He was inebriated, and he fell and hit his head after you left that uh, I th- read in the paper <laughs> the next day, we, I left, and I was there with a gal, and um, uh, I wanted, she was there, and she said, I'm over at Roger Waters, why don't you come over? I went, great, I can get a chance to talk to him and tell him, hey, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. I listened to you when my career turned around, a dark side of the moon, and, 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 and he was um, he was a little belligerent and um, a little nasty. Did he know who you were? No, he had no idea, but it's okay. So you were not, you read the next day that he had someone told I saw you? it and I woke up in the morning and I turned on the news. So Roger Runners had... was admitted to the, <laughs> the emergency room last night. He fell and hit his head. Look, I... I... <laughs> this is why you should buy s- Keith's book. Whether, I mean, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're probably interested in Keith's life, but uh, you learn a little bit about some random things, too. Roger Waters, for example. Well, living Not in being New- a great host. Living in New York, there's a whole different, diverse people from different walks of life, successful people. That it's, uh, That's what makes this city so beautiful. One thing I learned, and I was surprised to learn a little bit, 91 to 98, you didn't watch any baseball. Yes. And then you go into broadcasting and you watch baseball all the time now. Mm-hmm. What, what changed? Why did it change? Well, number one, my career didn't end the way I wanted it to. I didn't have a Je- Derek Jeter ending or a Ted Williams ending. Oh, who does? Other and, you know, right? very few do. And my body gave out on me. You know, I lost my 300 career batting average the last two years of my career because of injury. I was, I couldn't, I got 100 at bats in Cleveland and uh, I was, my body broke down so I by the, the offseason my back blew out I had to have surgery and I decided just to quit I didn't want to I'll be 38 trying to come back I said forget it mm-hmm. so I just was just washed my hands of baseball and I didn't watch for four or five years ironically it was the Sosa McGuire home run chase that brought me back to watching and then one night in the lanes, David Katz, my agent, was soon to be my agent, was the guy that came in and said, let me call you. Hmm. And can I mind if I call you every uh, three months and see if you change your mind? You should be doing Met games. And I finally, after around a year and a half of him calling every three months, uh, I said, okay. And he pitched it to the Mets, and they, they hired me. I started, well, MSG, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started. I tell you, what's, what's fascinating about hearing that is that the very thing that ultimately made you somewhat um, less into the modern game maybe than the classic game is still the thing that pulled you back in, that home run chase, right? Yes. So it's complicated. It is, and um, 
What I found more astounding is that I played against Sammy uh, in uh, early in our careers, and he was younger than me when he was with the White Sox mm -hmm. in spring training. And I remember when he was like 175 pounds, and it's still looking at him with that Cro-Magnum body, mm -hmm. Michelin man, it didn't connect in my brain at all. I think until, it took a lot until of people Until it came down. I didn't realize that pitchers would do it, and it would help them. I thought it was just the hitters. So I'm just sitting out about how, my stupidity here. Right. You know? Have you talked to any uh, other former, current ball, not current, I guess, former uh, ball players who retired a little angry at the game like you did, like needed a little bit of a break before they could get back into it, and then retirement didn't go the way they thought it might? Um, there's quite a few, but, you know, I just, it's something you don't want to bring up because I know that how I felt. I didn't yeah. want to talk about baseball. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I sort of, I, I don't want to bring that, you know, the guys who had good careers, you know, you don't want to bring up that negative. You know, well, you, you know, you, you, you couldn't play anymore when you wanted to play more. Mm -hmm. I wanted to play until I was 40. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was hard. Part of your divorce from the game was, was that it was hard not to be able to fully participate in not, it? Not be able to perform in the field like I used to. And the little things I never even thought twice about. I mean, I'd get a lead off second base. I never thought about getting thrown out at home. Mm -hmm. And there I was at second base in Cleveland getting an extra big lead, worrying about getting picked off because I was afraid I couldn't score because I was mm -hmm. so slow. I remember I broke my kneecap in 89, and I, I lost two steps, and I could ill afford mm -hmm. to lose a step. And my running, I was slow, mm -hmm. and I was embarrassed out there. It's interesting. You know, Keith, between the way that you describe falling in love with baseball in the book, uh, you hear your dad, who, who used to play. I don't know if we've said that yet on this podcast. Your dad played yeah. when he was young, got hurt, right. might have been a big leaguer. Right. So he's telling stories about real uh, legitimate baseball experiences that he mm -hmm. had. You're falling in love with the game at a right. very young age. Uh, then you go through all these phases of it. Then, you know, then you're 39 years old one phase of your life is over and the heartbreak of not being able to play anymore is such that you can't even be around the game. It's almost like describing the falling in love as a young person with anything and then the heartbreak of it not working out later in life. Is baseball almost like a relationship in your life? The, the way that uh, you felt for it, the way that it can break somebody's heart, uh, do, you, do you still have that kind of deep feeling for it that you described mm -hmm. in the book early on? No, I don't, but it was, it was my life, baseball. And the other, when you're done, you're going, okay, in my case, 38, I got a second half of my life. What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I, I didn't want to go into business. I didn't want to go down to Wall Street. Uh, I saved my money. I, I had enough to where I, could, I couldn't work the rest of my life if, uh, if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. But you know, uh, I never experienced everybody was saying, well, you'll get bored and you need something to keep you going. But that was like, I got a long way to go in this world. And I've got no second path here, right? And that's that's a little scary, you know. Take some time to get settled into that. Well, I just, reality, to this right? day I wouldn't want to. I, I don't. If I didn't make it in baseball, I don't know what I'd have done. I really don't know what I would have done. You, you told me once in a Q and A I did for the Daily News, I asked you that question, and you said you'd be living under a bridge somewhere. That was the answer. Possibly. Yeah. So maybe Robin Banks. I gave you a little more credit <laughs> than that, but you, one one never knows. Keith, we really appreciate you coming on. We've only done a couple episodes of this show, and if putting us on the map is what you've done today, we really well, appreciate so. it. This has been good. really fun. And I'm Keith Hernandez, folks, is in stores today. It's out. You yep. can have it. You can it's read good. all read these it. stories. It is fantastic. You can read all about Keith Hernandez's life growing up in the minors, his father, his brother, 
and all of that is relationship with New York as well. For Andy Martino, I'm Doug Williams. Remember, you search SNY Mets in your podcast app wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find us. Shay Anything is the name of the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thank you.